Welcome to Cinephilia, the podcast, episode number 40. I'm Michael Getty. <laughs> I was waiting for you. You had us on the edge of our seat. I'm Trevor. This is... And 40. Big The big 4-0. We made it. Which I'll be in a year and a half. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. Uh, speaking of anniversaries and things like that, yesterday, yesterday? Yeah, the 17th was the... 29th anniversary of the Northridge earthquake, which is one of the scariest nights of my childhood. Wow. I'm yeah. sure you remember it a little, like it was more intense for you because I was way out in Hesperia, about 90 miles away. <laughs> Actually, now, now it's about my 90 miles? Well, I looked at the uh, where the epicenter was and it is about 90 miles away from where it happened, but I still felt it like it was nearby which is how insane the earthquake was. Do you have any memories of the Northridge or Reseda earthquake? Um, I was really, really young. The only thing that I remember is um, we lived in an apartment and I guess because it was so bad, like we woke up and then we went to like a neighbor's house, like a bunch of people Mm -hmm. in the building went to a neighbor's house and we just like hung out and talked like all night. Yeah. Um, And then there were aftershocks like all night, like the damage wasn't really bad where we were living but um obviously northridge was like the the epicenter of it so but i don't have very because i was like very very young so Mm -hmm. i just remember i mean there are a few pretty big earthquakes that i grew up with but that that was like the big one yeah i think that was lifetime at least biggest one in our lifetime yeah at least in southern southern california um she don't agree. Uh, I do remember, well, my dad worked uh, for Lucky mm-hmm. Grocery Store at the time, and so he went to the Northridge location and helped clean up. Oh, really? So, yeah. Wow. And they, they made a video. Are you okay? I think she's scratching her ear. Oh, my goodness. Um, she's enjoying it, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, they made, like, a VHS of, like, it, that starts off with, like, footage of, like, surveillance footage of the earthquake, and then, like, a bunch of people helping out. My dad was in the video, and that was, like, Big claim to His fame. Claim to fame. Showed nice. him real quick, and he's like restocking. Shelves. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> I'm Peter Gaddy. Peter. <laughs> I don't. I don't know your dad's name, but James. James Gaddy. You know, I was in that video, man. James Gaddy Jr. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, real sounds qu- like I don't. I don't know why. It sounds like a joke. James Gaddy Jr. Yeah, like James Bond Jr. Yeah, exactly. But James Gaddy Jr. That was a thing. James Bond Jr. No one can stop him, but scum always tries. Young Bond cuts through each web of spies. He learned the game from his uncle James. Now he's And it wasn't his son. He was his, like, nephew. Oh, really? Series. Yeah. Oh, the cartoon? Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, not my dad. <laughs> Anyways, uh, real quick, I want to mention one thing about the last episode. That one, I fell asleep towards the end of editing it. So there might be something in there that uh, 
Shouldn't it be? <laughs> I nice. doubt it. Nice. <laughs> uh, but also that the clips were of lower quality than usual. Yes. So I apologize, apologize for that. that. Yeah. We both apologize for that. It's all Trevor's fault, but I'm apologizing for the both of us. Uh, but I also wanted to show off this really cool book I got. It's uh, the New York Times Book of Movies. One of those thick thousand movies you must see before you die type books. And he, he he physically brought it here with yeah. him, ladies and gentlemen. I'm... So if you go through it, what's really cool about it is it's a thousand movies. I think I agree with a lot of them. There's some in there that I'm like, that really shouldn't is, be in there. Is is like one, like number one, you should see this movie before. No, it's no. all in alphabetical order. Okay. What's really cool is... I'm going to go to... I'm going to flip to a random page. You give me... Ladies and gentlemen, give me a random page number here. <laughs> okay. You, you heard it. 271. Death in Venice. I've never heard of it. <laughs> How about Dirty Harry? Dirty Harry. Ooh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. There you go. That's good. Uh, there are maybe like, I think, I, Jesus. There are like uh, a dozen movies, not even a dozen, like 10 movies in here that we talked about. Uh, That's it? Yeah. Out of the 1,000? Yeah. Uh, there are a few that I'm like, okay, there's no Once Upon a Time in the West. There's no Place Beyond the Pines. Mm. she's still going travesty she was for a second all right um i'm keeping it in. i don't care and there's boyhood in it there's a star is born but it's one of the older ones which i agree with but you probably wouldn't uh i feel uh let me kind of just go quickly and find something that i'm like why the color of money is in here <laughs> uh cabaret is in here but all that jazz isn't so I mean, with any of these books, you're going to get like a hundred movies that you're like, why isn't that one in there? Mm-hmm. And a hundred movies that are like, why is that one in there? Right. Um, it goes up to 2018 because it came out in 2019. But what's really cool is each one has a review from the time, either the time the movie came out or when they actually, the New York Times reviewed it. So these, this is basically a book of reviews of some of the greatest movies of all time. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. Uh, what movie isn't in here is the movie we're talking about today. Mm, after hours <sighs> good segue build it up you know <laughs> a mostly forgotten what do you entry. want a fucking drum roll like <laughs> a mostly forgotten entry in the martin scorsese in martin scorsese's filmography watch mojo twice named it the most underrated movie of all time it's 1985's after our hours see i messed it up because you said you said it already mm. uh speaking of 1985 usually we will go through a big list of things but since this is the second time we've talked about 1985 uh, we won't do that. What I do for the second time around, uh, we talk about companies that were established in 1985, including Blockbuster, California Pizza Kitchen, Cinnabon, Fry's Electronics. R.I.P. Uh, only two of those four still exist. Imagine Entertainment, the uh, Ron Howard mm-hmm. um, production company. I forgot his uh, partner's name. Jimmy Buffett's Margarit- Margaritaville, NutraSuite, Rocket Mortgage, and Tommy Hilfiger. And uh, he'll figure, he'll figure. I don't care, not figure. I can't, I can't afford it. So. I don't know if it's I not can. even that expensive. Yeah, <laughs> I've never tried. Maybe when it first came out, uh, Discovery Channel and Buena Vista Television both started in 1985. Uh, some of the products that were first available in that year were Microsoft Windows, which had Excel and Paint. Microsoft Paint. This is also the introduction of text messaging. And .com, .net, .gov, .org, .uk, and .us. When did 1985? 1985, even though the internet wasn't really a thing until 1993. 
That's so weird. Um. Uh, don't have a good segue out of that into the movie again because usually we end up with movies uh, that we're talking about after hours. Uh, it's uh, it's the 80s are kind of a weird time for Scorsese. He does Raging Bull and then from Raging Bull to Goodfellas. Most people don't remember his um, filmography. There's The Last Temptation of Christ. There's uh, The Color of Money and then this. This has a uh, 7.6 on IMDb. It has a 91 on Rotten Tomatoes and an 87 audience score. Do you want to guess what the budget is? Um, he, I, I read about it, so I think I know it was... I think it was originally budgeted at $5 million, and then it, mm-hmm. the end budget was $10 million. Is that right? Uh, I I just kind of Google searched because it wasn't as easy to find. It said $4.5 million, so that's oh, what okay. I have. And it only made... Do you know? Mm, maybe that was like 11 million in 10.6 yeah okay so yeah not nominated for any oscars i don't know if it went into any film festivals definitely not on any did, AFI list. Uh, list. martin scorsese won for best director uh for this movie in Cannes. oh okay that year that's very cool uh i wonder what else he went up against which is crazy because 85 is one of those years that, that we brought up of great movies mm-hmm. uh so we'll probably be back in 85 again uh, one movie I was thinking of bringing in was Brazil from Terry Gilliam. And there are a couple scenes in Brazil that reminded me of this movie at the same. And it's, they came out the same year. With so. the wacky and zany. Yeah, especially with the camera movement at the end. Yeah. Uh, this is not in the Criterion Collection, uh, even though I first saw this on the Criterion channel. But uh, um, Griffin Dunn, I only wrote down Dunn because I thought I already put his name down in here. But uh, Griffin Dunn did post a picture of himself in the Criterion Closet. And in the description, he said, before anyone rushes to comment, we weren't there for after hours. That's in the near future. So teased it. He's teasing. Uh, He is. He was with there. He was in there with one of the. It sounds so weird to say he's in the closet. He was there with uh, one of the producers of After Hours, Amy Robinson. And I forgot to look up if it was in the Library of Congress. I just assumed it wasn't. It's not. I mean, everything I read, it would have been mentioned. So this is your first time watching it, and I feel like before you said something, I thought you said you watched it, so we didn't talk about it last year. Um, the only thing I really knew about this movie growing up was the poster, because I think it was like, either I saw like the VHS for this movie, or I saw the poster at like Blockbuster or is something like that. Is it the one, the his head getting twisted around? Yeah, and the clock. Blah, yeah. yeah. So it's a very iconic poster, but like probably the most famous thing about the movie. Yeah. It's, uh, do you have a pitch? I don't have a pitch. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. We don't need to. Uh, it's directed by Martin Scorsese. We've already talked about him. Ad uh, nauseum. Yeah. It's written by Joseph Minion, who's best known for this, and Vampire's Kiss. Do you know what Vampire's Kiss is? Uh, is that the first movie that Jim Carrey was in? No, that's Once Bitten, but close. It's one of the early movies of uh, Nicolas Cage. Oh, okay. So the movie where you see the clip of him losing his shit uh, about... Alpha, putting things in alphabetical order. How could somebody misfile something? What could be easier? It's all alphabetical. You just put it in the right file according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z! Huh? 
That's all you have to do. Very good. You know your alphabet. I never misspelled anything. I wonder if Christian Bale watched that for inspiration for Patrick Bateman. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> um, Minus the bizarre accent. Yeah, I don't know. That Nicolas Cage is doing. She has an English accent, so I'm assuming he was going for an English accent as well. It just wasn't as successful. Yeah, if that's an English accent, then that's the worst one I've ever heard. It's worse than mine. Uh, I wanted to say this is edited by Thelma. Schoonmaker. Schoonmaker. Did I say it wrong in the past? I'm sure I don't I know. This is her fourth collaboration with Scorsese, and uh, he's, she's been editing with him ever since. Ever since D.D. Allen and The Color of Money. <laughs> That was the next movie after this, I think. Uh, or two movies later, it doesn't matter. But I I guess I can want to quickly talk about the editing. That's where I put it in my notes. Just weird choices to do, uh, like, ramped up footage uh, a lot of different times, especially when he's in the cab. And... But it's like, it'll go from a normal footage and, like, well, like you said, ramped up is basically when you're shooting at one frame rate, which is usually, like, 24 right. frames per second, and in the same shot without cutting, uh, you ramp up. Yeah, so ramp down, I guess, with yeah. how they did it, or they did it in post. Yeah, who knows? Um, but it's, there's a there's several shots like that where it's like almost imperceptible that it's like very very quick, but mm-hmm. you can see the motion is like unrealistically fast. But it, yeah. it happens a lot, especially at the beginning of the movie. It adds to the surreal nature of the movie and the weird environment, the tone of uh, this version of Soho, mm-hmm. a place I've never been. Um, but yeah. Oh, we get the opening credits, uh, which ruins all the surprise cameos in the movie. So if you've never seen the movie, you're going in cold. It just says, here's who's all in the movie, which, but a lot of them, um, one of the things I appreciated about this movie was, um, the cast of characters and seeing all these like old familiar faces, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them, I didn't know their names. Mm. Um, so I was like, wait, where have I seen this guy? So like IMDB, I'm going to, Oh yeah. Like Dick Miller. Yeah, and then the um, is Dick Miller the guy in the? Um, He's the first guy in the diner. Yeah, he she blows coffee. she blows him a kiss. Yeah, yes, yeah. Who's in Terminator? And yeah, I'll, I'll have that in my notes later. But uh, we get this fast moving dolly shot in an office. Paul is teaching Balky from who's <laughs> from. Yes, I love that. And I I made that note <laughs> how too. To use a, a computer or use or how to file stuff i was hoping that he was going to have a bigger role in this but yeah, like, it was literally the only scene he's in it is weird seeing him it's weird seeing him anywhere ever other than perfect strangers you know we should probably do a rewatch podcast if like if we had the time there you go if we had the time if we made money off of this or if we just had more time to do a separate podcast, we should do a rewatch of Perfect Strangers. And what's so ironic is, like, I never watched that show because I think it came out, like, before I was even born, maybe. Yeah. But, like, it's just something about that theme song. Just, like, yeah. it's the best theme song uh, ever of any sitcom ever. I vaguely remember episodes. It was on TGIF in the early days. Early days of TGIF. So, uh, I have seen episodes, but I only really kind of remember one. And that was like in there in the basement and it was flooding and the whole episode was we might die. Hmm. <laughs> if I'm remembering it correctly. The only thing I know about that show is that um, a character, Harriet Winslow, was like mm-hmm. a character on there. And from there, she got a spinoff, which mm-hmm. was became Family Matters. Yeah, because her husband would show up every once in a while. Who yeah. was uh, Officer uh, Carl Winslow. Carl Winslow. And then, yeah, they got their spinoff. So it's crazy that 
Urkel is a result of Perfect Strangers. Mm-hmm. And I think Perfect Strangers, or sorry, Family Matters probably ran for longer than yeah. Perfect Strangers. They it went it switched to CBS and got insane. Yeah, so I remember hearing that or seeing that or something. So here's a little preview of our Perfect Strangers podcast that we could have if you guys yeah spread the word. This would be the only <laughs> episode that we only talk. Yeah, it was a spinoff, and uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Well, yeah, that'd be like okay. This Perfect Strangers podcast was so popular. Now let's do a Family Matters podcast. Anyways. He, uh, Balky, talks about how this isn't really what he wants to do. This is just his stepping stone up to, he wants to get into publishing and he wants to have his own magazine. And as he's talking about that, Paul, played by uh, uh, Griffin Dunn, looks around and Bach, Overture number three in D minor, starts to play. And you can see he looks at his mundane life and goes, I want something more. And that's interesting that you mentioned that because I made a note of that. And I was wondering if the movie Seven was influenced by this because there's a scene in Seven where uh, Somerset, Morgan Freeman, is in the library and the same song is playing. And it's kind of just setting up like the the mundane, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I'm curious if that was set. And the song is really, really beautiful. Like, oh, yeah. I've, since I first heard it in uh, Seven, I always like really enjoyed it. Uh, the song continues as Paul goes to his boring apartment and there's nothing on TV. He has one of those remote control. It's not even a remote control. It's a controller for it his like, TV. It looks like the size of fucking laptops now. It's huge. Yeah, I thought at first, I, kinda, I looked down and looked back up. And I was like, is he like checking his answering machine or something? And I went, oh no, that's how he's controlling his TV. I forgot. I thought he was like playing like Atari yeah. or some sort of like weird video game. Uh, Paul is played by Griffin Dunn, as I've said a few times, but he's also one of the producers in the movie. He's probably best known as uh, the friend in American Werewolf in London. Uh, well, I won't say anything more than that because that will spoil that movie. I highly recommend it. I don't know if you would or not. Oh, yeah, for horror. It's classic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Look at your face. I'm just, oh, wait, you're talking to me. Uh, he was also in My Girl. He plays the teacher. Huh. Do you remember that? No, mm-hmm. I haven't seen My Girl since it came out. Yeah, I only I looked it up. I was like, oh, he's in My Girl. Who does he play? I'm like, oh, right. Like, isn't she like in love with her teacher? Like, I, uh... I, I think most famously now he's, uh, he's more. I don't know his most notable role now, and it's probably bigger than anything he's ever done. Was he played uh, Nikki on This Is Us? I was gonna. Uh, this is my next thing on my notes. So yeah. I was wondering if you would know that. Yes. Yeah. I immediately, because the only other thing that I remember Griffin Dunn from was um, 40 Days and 40 Nights with Josh Hartnett. He plays the boss and he's like a really like funny character in that movie. And then that's the only other thing that I had like recognized him from. And I was like, oh, okay. I like him a lot in this. And I'm like, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten more work. And then I looked, I'm like, he's done like 170 things. Has he? Yeah. He's done a lot of work over the years. So I'm like, why aren't they things like more recognizable? Yeah. Interesting. Sad. Um, he has dinner at a diner, which is kind of odd. So I guess he just maybe wants to get out. He doesn't really explain that. That's where he meets Marcy, played by Rosanna Arquette, one of the several Arquettes, uh, who is in Pulp Fiction and in David Cronenberg's Crash. Mm-hmm. And not really. I mean, she's been in a lot of things, but again, kind of like uh, Dunn. Oh. Not in in a bunch of stuff, but not in uh, like big things. Not, especially not as much as uh, her uh, family. Mm-hmm. So uh, He's reading Trop of, Tropic of Cancer, which uh, the, I didn't know was a real book. I thought it was just a fake book that they talked about in an episode of Seinfeld. 
Uh, and so she, they start talking to each other. She starts mentioning how she likes that book. And she also points out that the waiter or the cashier, I guess, is uh, doing weird movements. Like he's doing like, like he's like ballroom dancing by himself or something. Yeah. That's exactly what he's doing. Or that's <laughs> what it looks like. I don't know. Ask your girlfriend, Valerie. She'd be able to tell you what kind of dance. That's funny you say that because yesterday she was invited to go line dancing or square dancing. And she's Yeehaw. like, yeah. And she's like, why is it everybody thinks because I'm into certain types of dance that I'm into all kinds of dance? So she Is she into hip hop dancing? <laughs> this is hip hop. <laughs> uh she's she's taught hip-hop but only has kids. she yeah is that what she does she's she teach definitely it? not does an she expert like, yeah. does she teach it like that lady yeah this is hip-hop okay this first thing you want to do drop your shoulders okay no good posture <laughs> went to a club one time no one was wearing baggy clothes i couldn't believe it i didn't know what to think of that i wonder i want to find out where that lady is now she's probably the one who choreographed like la la land <laughs> That was uh, Mandy Moore, yes, but not that Mandy Moore. I know. She was just on Roger Deakins' podcast. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I didn't know you had a podcast. Yeah. Anyways, back to our podcast. Yeah. She talks about how her roommate uh, makes bagel paperweights. Well, a plaster of Paris bagel with cream, with cream cheese. cheese paperweights. And her roommate is Kiki Bridges, uh, and she has no area code, which I, always, I thought was weird throughout the whole movie. Anytime someone gave out, gave out a phone number, it was only seven digits or sometimes only five yes <laughs> he was trying to keep the number in his head and he starts to write it down but his pen isn't working so he asks the weird cashier for it and he does a little spin and then hands it to him sorry you were gonna say something no i no okay. i wasn't were you and then i interrupted you she's having a good time back yeah. there uh so he gets home goes back home and he calls the number Kiki answers, and uh, then she immediately gives the phone to Marcy, and he's like, kind of not even sure what he is doing, calling, and she asks him to come over, and he looks at his watch, and it's eleven thirty p.m. So he gets in a taxi, and it's a crazy taxi driver, and he says that he only has a twenty, and he asks if he can break in. He's like, yes. So the this is where the footage is obviously sped up because all the cars are flying around, yeah, kind of crazy, but he's zigzagging in and out of traffic. And he takes his $20 bill and puts it in an ashtray for some reason with the window up and immediately flies out the window. Because duh. Because why not? <laughs> and so when they stop finally, he's like trying to get the attention of the, the driver and he finally stops. And the driver, he's trying to explain to the driver that the 20 flew out the window. And the driver has the craziest eyes. Yeah, I, I made a note of that, that his expression when he's trying to explain that, like... You were driving too fast. The money flew out. It's just like it just lingers on his face, and he doesn't he doesn't say anything, and his facial expression doesn't change. But he's like his eyes are like bugged yeah. out of his head, and it's like really great. What if that cab driver was Travis Bickle? Maybe. Like, could you imagine if it was De Niro? <laughs> it's just later. That would have been so. Like later, picks him yeah. up, and he's like, "Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> uh, nothing. I'll walk." Uh, a half a dozen doorbells are on the uh, front of the uh, apartment building that uh, Kiki and uh, Marcy live on. Which it's not the typical buzzer thing where it's just a row and a bunch of buttons next to it, but it's just like someone installed random doorbells. It's kind of weird, or I guess buzzers. Uh, 
she Kiki answers, but she's like up in their giant studio apartment and she has to throw down the keys and it's this big ring of keys. So it's this dangerous like thing that if he caught it, it probably would have gone through his hand. Yeah. And, uh, and somehow he gets the correct key. Yeah. That, on the first try. <laughs> first try. I didn't even think about that. Um, Kiki is played by Linda Florentino. Mm-hmm. Florentino. Uh, which is weird. I remember seeing this the first time going, oh, hey, it's L from Men in Black. Oh, wow. And uh, also in Dogma. She's, That's her? Yeah. The, Holy shit. Originally, that part was written for Amy from Chasing Amy. Because Kevin Smith was dating her at the mm-hmm. time. But the studio was like, no, we want a big name. So let's get the girl from Men in Black to play the character. She's and, great. She's great in it, though. Yeah, she is. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why Kevin Smith broke up with uh, that actress. And when he was, I think he was doing pl- publicity. I don't know why words are so difficult for me. Publicity for Dogma, he met his now wife. Hmm. And mother of his child. Her name is Lauren Adams or something, right? Uh, yeah, Amy. it's like a three name. Isn't it like... Joey Lauren... Uh... Yeah, something like that. Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah. I'll let you look that up if you want. She's currently making a sculpture with paper mache and uh, Marcy's not there because she went to go get her prescription filled. So she has Paul finish the sculpture and he's unsure of how to do so because he's like, this is your art and I don't want to mess it up. Her name is... Joey Lauren Adams. Joey Lauren Adams. <laughs> um, so Marcy, Marcy calls and leaves a message. Or not leaves. I can't even think of how to explain it. Marcy calls and Kiki and Marcy talk over the phone. You see, you hear Kiki's part of the conversation. Uh, and it almost sounds like an argument. Yeah. Well, of course he's here. You invited him. What's your problem, Marcy? I'm not going to tell him. I'm not telling him. I can't talk any louder. All right, hurry up. What do you think she was telling Kiki to tell Paul? Because she was like, I'm not going to tell him that. Yeah. You have to tell him. You have to tell him you invited him here. Yeah. Yeah, that's super confusing. Maybe that's the point to just kind of be like, what can they possibly, she possibly saying to make him feel even more uncomfortable? Uh, do you know? No, no, I don't. Oh, no, no, sorry. I was just, I wanted to know what you thought. And if I was Paul, I would be like, oh, thank you. Good night. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's my, that's my key to. Uh... Yeah. It's like, oh, if you want me to leave, I, I can. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I might not be able to get home now because I don't have any money. Yeah. Um, although he thinks he can at that point. Uh, Kiki notices that his shirt is uh, covered in paper mache paste or whatever. I forget how that all works because I'm not six. Um, <clears throat> did you ever do paper mache as a kid? No. Oh. Uh, she washes this shirt, kind of like almost forcing him to take off his shirt and yeah, then she gives like him a temporary forces one. Him to. Uh, she needs a massage, so he gives her a massage, gives Kiki a massage. And he's like t- explaining, or they they have a conversation about scars and his tonsils. And while he's explaining some story about his tonsils, she falls asleep and interrupts the story. So we don't even get to hear the end of it. She first like sort of starts to lean back, and then um, Paul 
like puts his starts putting his face closer to hers thinking that she's like putting the moves on him yeah. and then she starts snoring and he's like oh, oh okay yeah because she is in her bra yes no shirt um i didn't realize she was so i mean it sounds weird but in men in black i didn't realize she was so old i thought she was closer to the age she is in this movie but yeah. when i saw her in this movie i was like this is like 13 years before men in black yeah so that's crazy that's crazy I mean, she looks great no matter what movie I've seen her in. Although I haven't seen her in a movie in 24 wow. years. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure she works all the time, too. We just don't watch her. Paul uh, goes to leave, but he sees Marcy coming. So he decides to run back inside and sit next to a sleeping Kiki, which is weird that he choose, chooses that place to sit. Yeah. Instead of just like the end of the sofa, like on the, like the arm of the sofa. And they greet each other with a kiss. One of the chums just like... Like that French greeting of just, you know. Kissing on the cheek. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. Uh, they go into Marcy's room. Marcy, uh, she's uh, going to take a shower first, but she says that she feels like really something really incredible is going to happen here. And then she laughs like a weirdo and offers him a joint. I hope you don't have to get up early tomorrow or anything. No. No, I don't. Because I think you're somebody I can really talk to. And tonight I feel like... I feel like I'm gonna let loose or something. I feel like I feel like something incredible is really gonna happen here. <laughs> I feel so excited. I don't know why. I feel it. <laughs> I'm glad you came. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> if you want to smoke a joint, there's a couple in there. Feel free. Uh, the camera does this really weird but cool dolly push in on her face and when she winks yeah yeah, I, yeah. that was a great shot yeah. there's a lot of that it reminds me a lot of uh goodfellas and some of the stuff he does later i mean he does some of that stuff in like taxi driver and um raging bull but i feel like this is as far as camera movement goes it feels more goodfellas of all the movies i've seen uh, the cinematography was done by michael ballhouse ballhouse thank you uh, he did the Papa Don't Preach music video for Madonna. He also was the cinematographer for Under the Cherry Moon. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, the Color of Money. Prince's video Mountains, which came out the same year. So is it Mountains and Cherry Moon? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. Well, it's on the... Yes, it's in there and it's on the album um, Parade. Okay. Uh, he also did Broadcast News, Goodfellas, What About Bob, Dracula, Wild Wild West. Gangs of New York and The Departed. So he wasn't, he didn't do all of Scorsese's films from then on, but he did a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Robert Richardson, I think those are like yeah. his two main. And then also um, Rodrigo Prito. He's an amazing cinematographer. Yeah. He did like uh, Silence. Yeah. And um, um, The Irishman. He did hmm. that one too. Uh, he looks at the clock or his watch and it's 140 at this point they're constantly looking at either a watch or a clock to see what time it is so you're it's supposed to feel like it's real time it's obviously not because the movie's only an hour and 47 minutes 37 37 <laughs> uh, it don't matter so while he's waiting the phone rings and nobody's no one's picking it up because kiki's asleep and marcy's in the shower so because he's a weirdo paul picks it up and it's a guy named asking for uh, Marcy, and his name is Greg. Kiki walks in and asks, uh, "Did she show up or something like that?" And she's now topless. 
Because it wouldn't be one of our movies if uh, someone wasn't topless. Yep. Because you're a sick fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. There's also people, uh, one of the neighbors across the way, having sex with their window open. Yeah. So I, when I noticed that, I was like, before they cut to them and it's a clearer shot, you can just see it in the background. You don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I was like, are those people having sex? <laughs> and then immediately following that question, they cut to like an insert shot of them mm-hmm. having sex. And it's very clear. Uh, Paul snoops around Marcy's bag and he sees that the prescription is for an ointment that treats second degree burns, which adds to his intrigue and his uneasiness i guess i thought that i told you to stay in bed is what uh, marcy says to him at one point which he probably should have instead of answering the call and did she actually say that though i don't think i remember there's no I don't remember sh- shot of her saying that uh, she leaves the room again this is right after she came, came out of the shower she said that so she leaves the room again and that's where we really see the neighbors having sex and we hear a clock ticking and it would, it's actually part of the score so uh, the score is done by Howard Shore, who's we've talked about him before in uh, The, the Fly, because mm-hmm. he did a bunch of Cronenberg movies, including Scanners and Videodrome and The Fly. He also did Ed Wood, Silence of the Lambs, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Seven, but probably most famously, The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Marcy thinks Paul said something, because, but it's probably the couple having sex. And uh, Marcy doesn't think uh, she'll be able to sleep, so... Uh, he asks about the ointment, and she lies about having dry skin, and he even, like, to her face kind of says, oh, no, your skin's fine. Like, And he starts touching her. Yeah, and which is weird and creepy. Uh, he says that somebody called, someone named Greg, and she uses a uh, gay slur about him, which just goes to show this movie is very much oh, not of our time anymore. Yeah. Um, she says that she's scared, and uh, you see scratch marks, like, heavy scratch marks yeah. on her leg and like claw marks yeah and she talks about how she was raped and tells the whole story it was her boyfriend oh it was a boyfriend of hers um which makes me think is it a boyfriend we've seen in this movie maybe uh and it took six hours and she was asleep for most of it which sounds like a weird messed up thing to say and like slightly funny but i remember we were it was in junior high they had a special like assembly or something for just the girls and they gave them like information about like rape and stuff like that this is getting a little dark but i guess it sometimes it can last several hours which is horrifying yeah and that's all I want to say about that because I don't want to joke about it. It's a very, very, very but serious it, thing. And it's very, I mean, it's a, it's a strange thing because like she just met this guy. Yeah. And she's like telling her, telling him her deke- deepest, darkest secrets. And it's just like. I mean, he keeps prying. What so. does he do with this information? Like, oh, yeah. I don't know. But it's um, it's very uneasy. It's It definitely creates a, a feeling of unease in the scene. It's just. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a phone rings again and the camera slowly pushes in as it rings and the ticking comes back just to kind of be like very Hitchcock yeah it's very dread and all that so they talk about let's get co-, they say get let's get coffee and let's get out of here and uh, as they're leaving we see that there's a $20 bill attached to the, the statue the paper mache statue he leaves it for some reason even though oh he's he starts to get it yeah he starts to pick at it but yeah they go to the river diner 
and uh, he asks about who Franklin is. She says it's her husband, who's I forget where she says he he lives currently. Um, uh, he's in Turkey. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but they've like only saw each other for like a little bit or something. Like she made it sound like they've they saw each other like early in their marriage, and now they're just kind of living in two different places. Mm-hmm. I noticed the waitress setting the coffee down, spilling it kind of all over the place we see the clock say 215 and uh, she talks about her husband being a movie movie freak but especially one movie the wizard of oz and every time he climaxes he yells surrender dorothy which is probably one of the funniest parts of the movie look i stayed with my husband for three days i was very young when i got married husband was a movie freak actually he was particularly obsessed with one movie, The Wizard of Oz. He talked about it constantly. I thought it was cute at first. On our wedding night, I was a virgin. And we made love. You've seen the film, haven't you? The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I've seen it. Well, when we made love, whenever he, you know, when he came, you just scream out, surrender Dorothy. That's all. Just surrender Dorothy. Wow. Oh, instead of moaning or saying, oh, God, or something normal like that. I mean, it was pretty creepy. And I, I told him my thoughts, so, but he just, he just couldn't stop. He just, he just couldn't stop. He just couldn't stop. He... He said he didn't even realize it was happening. <laughs> he just couldn't stop. So I just broke the whole thing off. Uh, we see that Dick Miller is working the diner. It's uh... That's not the character's name, by the way. No, it's not the character's name. <laughs> it sounds like a it's porn not, name. It sounds like a random porn star. Uh, no, it's a character actor that's been in like a thousand different things. He's been in every Joe Dante movie from Gremlins to Looney Tunes back in action. Even he was even in Piranha, which I think was his first movie. He's in the first Terminator. He played, uh, I forget, uh, Chucky Saul in Batman Mask of the Phantasm. He was also in New York, New York, directed by Scorsese in 1941, directed by uh, Spielberg. Spielberg, thank you. And he was in the first two Zemeckis films that came out before Back to the Future. So the dude's been in a lot of things. Yes, he has. Uh, Paul and Marcy Kiss which is weird, especially since she starts crying immediately after. So something ain't right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear Marcy and Kiki whispering because now she's outside of the room. And I kind of heard something about like those pills make me sick or something like that. I don't know if you watched it with the subtitles on. I always do. I don't, I don't recall seeing anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure it was there, but I didn't make a note of it. Wow. notices this big red book uh, about burn victims so he starts scrolling through it and that's where the editing gets really like quill like show like a frame 
of one of the pages. And so I didn't pause anything. So I don't know if it was actually gross, but he was immediately grossed out by it. And it's masochistic stuff, right? Like sadomasochism. Yeah. I think the, I thought the idea was that like how to treat burns, but it shows you what burns look like. Uh, Marcy comes back with a candle that has a gigantic ass flame. <laughs> it's like gas powered candle. And again, she kisses him and uh, he suggests the joint and they, he argues about whether or not it's from Colombia, which is a funny concept now in 2023. The idea of having to get Colombian weed instead of just getting it from a friend. Around the corner. Or, yeah, at a, uh, a shop now. Uh, so he's just using it as an excuse to yell at her and then leave. I, I thought that was a brilliant getaway from him. I was like, God, why is he being such a dick? And mm-hmm. then I realized like what he was doing, and I was like, oh, that's that's pretty slick. He starts getting angry about the paperweight. He's like, the reason I came was for you, but also for the paperweight. Where's my you know, where's my paperweight? Yeah. So she goes out and gets it, and she starts crying to Kiki, and he takes off. And he looks at the statue again with the 20, but he still leaves it. Outside it's raining, and he tries to uh, get, a sub- get a subway token, but uh, apparently the fare has gone up at midnight so it must have been like january 1st or something <laughs> yeah uh got went up from i guess it was like 90 something or whatever maybe 95 or something because yeah. he has 97 cents and then it goes up to a dollar 50 and so he doesn't have enough so he's like okay screw you he's gonna jump over the turnstile and immediately gets caught which is sad uh and then as he's leaving he like gives up with the cop because he doesn't want to be arrested he, uh, you hear a weird ADR of the cop or the guy in the booth saying, must be a full moon out yeah. there. Must be a full moon out there. It was just horribly recorded and added in, but I thought it was interesting because American Werewolf in London. It's very, um, Home Alone. Yeah. When those guys come back, I'll be ready. <laughs> Mom, where are you? Oh yeah, that one. Speaking of Home Alone. We go to the terminal bar, and the bartender is played by John Hurd. He has a name, and they say it later, but I forget. Uh, and we see a waitress who's played by Terry Gar, who was a young Frankenstein, Tootsie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, yeah, she's a weirdo in everything she does, but she's great. Uh, she hates her job, which she tells by giving a... He, he just wants to sit there because of the rain. And he doesn't have any money to buy anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he says he has like 95 cents or whatever, 97 cents. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's that's not going to buy anything. And he's like, can I just sit here? Is that okay? He seems like a little impatient at that point. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. And then she gives him a, a check. And it says that she hates her job. Or like, help me, I hate my job. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at her and she's doing this face like, mm-hmm. Which is pretty funny. Uh, he goes to the bathroom and there's a drawing of a man getting his dick eaten off by a shark. And when he comes back out, he finds out that in that neighborhood that night, there have already been four burglaries. Uh, the bartender offers to pay for a subway fare after Paul tells the story of the fare going up. Uh, but the cash register won't open, so he needs to get the key from his apartment. And uh, he can't leave the bar, so he trusts Paul to get... He, at first he trusts him and then he's like, oh, what am I doing there's a guy out there stealing stuff, so I can't just give you my keys. So he gives him his, Paul gives him his keys as collateral. Collateral. And, uh. It's really great to see Peter McAllister's humble <laughs> beginnings as a bartender. Yeah. You see some of that anger. 
It's funny him and uh, Catherine O'Hara both have like blonde, like light hair that we're not used to seeing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we go up to, I think his name is Tom. Go up to his apartment and he gets the key and he turns on the alarm. And then instead of just immediately leaving, he decides to again use the restroom, but like to wash up. And he throws away a, like a paper towel into the toilet and it immediately doesn't flush. Like it doesn't even start to go down. And they do a really cool shot when he's washing his face. The camera is like, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's like almost like upside down. And mm-hmm. while his face is like uh, basically in the sink, he like lifts his head up and then the camera like rotates. I like, think that shot comes later. Right. So that's that not down. when he's washing his face in the sink I, in there. I don't think it's that sink. I mean, he might have done something cool in that shot too. If it's the shot I'm thinking of, it's definitely later. I think when he's at... Uh, julie's house okay or apartment i have it written down so i didn't notice this one i i do know yet they have that like bird's eye view of the the place so that way you can see him at the sink and you can see the toilet flush or not flush and then rise up um when he goes to leave a couple stops him um and they're interrogating him because of there being burg- burglaries in the area and uh, eventually he's like, hey, uh, you know, I have the key. The guy's name's Tom. And they're like, there are three Toms here. He's like, he's in the top floor. How many how many Toms are there in the top floor? So when he gets downstairs, he sees Cheech and Chong, which is would have been really cool and random to, to not know that they were in this movie. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> of course, course, at the beginning, they're yeah, in the opening credits. Uh, they're stealing that statue with the twenty dollars on it and a TV, which he recognizes at least the statue belonging to Kiki. So he chases them and they drop the TV and the statue. Uh, he goes to pick up the statue and take it back to her, and she's like tied up. You can see that she's tied up when she leans out the the window, and he's like, he goes up there. She tosses the keys again. He uh gets up there, gives her her statue, and he's like. I stopped those burglars and she's like, burglars? What burglars? I don't think she ever explains why she's tied up. Well, later it it gets explained why. Not verbally. When Horst makes an appearance. Oh, okay. Horst. Yeah. That's right. Um, He's in this scene, right? He is. So that's when he goes up and... So he goes up to the um, to help her, and he starts untying her, and she's tied up in like these in super intense knots. Yeah. And he's like, "What are those guys? Navy sailors? Like sailors? These knots are crazy. It'll take me forever." And then, in the corner, out of the darkness, there stands a man, <laughs> and he's wearing like a like S&M. a an S and M outfit. And that's basically what they were doing is yeah. they were having a sadomasochistic. Okay, uh, that makes sense sex event and she was tied up because of that and that's why she's not scared or nervous about the fact that she is tied up did you recognize horst yes i did that's another one uh he's he's another one uh that's been in a million different things the two things that come uh to mind is um armageddon oh yeah yeah i forgot he's on armageddon that man is your daddy (laughs) you know what i'm talking about no i haven't seen that movie you've never seen armageddon oh my god put it on the list that's gotta go on the list too um yeah so basically he plays like uh basically yeah he plays an alcoholic um who is separated from his wife and his wife like doesn't give a shit about him until he becomes Mm -hmm. a famous astronaut 
and then um he comes to the house and it's played by april o'neill the the original uh, april o'neill or page hogue sure he comes to the door and he's like telling her like hey i've got something coming up and it's it's kind of big you might be proud of me and then the um the kid asks who's that man and the uh and the mom is like that man is a salesman because she you know yeah but then he becomes a hero and then later the kid's like that salesman's on tv and then (laughs) the mom is like that's not a salesman that's your daddy (laughs) and he was also in um punisher the good one yeah he was uh also remember the titans he was the assistant coach yes he was so you know who we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. So what's funny is I said Paige um, Hogue. Hogue. It's actually Judith Hogue. In the second movie, uh, April was played by Paige Turco. Oh, so yeah. I mixed the two of them up, <clears throat> which is fun. Uh, that's all I have to say for this episode. Also, Neil and Pepe are the name of Cheech and Chong, which I thought Pepe would be Cheech and Chong would be Neil. But no, it's the other way around. Hmm, interesting. Am I racist? Who knows? Uh, Probably cut that. <laughs> which part? Just the racist part? Yeah. What? Why would you say? Because maybe. Pepe. Maybe I am. Anyways. Because Chong is uh, Asian. Half Asian, apparently. So I would... Chong? Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't assume his name was Pepe. Okay. Anyways. And Horse says to him, that was rude of you before, Paul. In his... Uh, his temptress ways. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say. Um, so he goes to apologize to Marcy as they leave. Well, I guess we find that out soon. And he gives a long-winded apology until he realizes that she's dead. Because uh, of sleeping pills. And he also gets stuck in the room as he's trying to get out to tell Kiki and Horst. Which doesn't make any sense. Like, how how did he get locked inside the room? Yeah. Like, the door just jammed, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and it's the door pulls towards him, so he has to like burst through it like the Kool Aid Man. Mm-hmm. One thing I made a note of is he calls the police and he's like, "I like to report a murder," or I think he says, "Report a death,", death. Yeah. but like not a suicide attempt. And you know yeah. what I mean? It just like obviously this this film doesn't like isn't the most realistic sure, depiction yeah. of things, but like it just seems weird. Like I want to report a death. Not like, hey, like explaining the situation herself. to make it seem like, you know, he's not the one who fucking killed her. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah this movie is all pretty much a fever dream. Yes. And I think that's the idea because I know you've never gotten drunk, but when you, but you've hung out with us late at night and just that Absolutely. weird weirdness Absolutely. of being out there late, especially if you're drunk. Uh, just when everything's the, funny. Yeah. Everything's like everything's 10 times more funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, or just that much weirder. Um, <laughs> what? I just, I just, one thing came to mind is, um, I don't remember where we were coming from or what we were doing, but basically everyone was completely drunk, shit-faced, ever it was there. And I think I was driving and that's where he uttered the classic um, Charmin Ultra tits. <laughs> 
this is and this is our this is our humor our sense of humor it makes absolutely no sense and you guys are listening and you're probably like what the fuck is so funny about that but i remember when i heard that i was dying i couldn't even drive because my eyes like welled up with tears it was so funny to me and that's how you crashed the car and that's how we all died um like you said he calls the cops and uh he tries to look he so he goes back to to marcy and tries to look for burns and he also looking for the uh, scratch marks, which seem to have disappeared, because I didn't see it the second time around. Uh, but he does find a tattoo, which matches the keychain, which reminds him he needs to go back to the bar to give back the keys and get his own. And uh, so he has to leave notes pointing out where the dead person is. <laughs> so just Mul- multiple, not just one. Multiple with arrows. Um, and smartly, he also puts a doorstop to make sure that the cops can get in or the paramedics i guess he tries to go back to the bar but uh, he runs into the waitress who just quit and she's all proud of herself for doing so and but the bar is closed with a note that says be back in half an hour which how long ago was that note put there he sees uh, neil and pepe drive by so he tries uh stopping them to apologize and they take off because they think he's crazy julie the waitress offers him uh refuge in her apartment uh she puts on the monkeys and paul starts to i I forget what she says that reminds him of marcy but he starts to cry and so she changes the music to something else which isn't even that big of a change uh it's a much sadder song that she puts on yeah (laughs) it wasn't like i was expecting her to put on some like really really sad like violin music or something but it was still kind of upbeat but still more on the sad side. She sits down and starts drawing Paul. If you look around the apartment, you can see drawings of like Bob Dylan and the Beatles. Beatles, yeah. yeah. So she's an artist. She's a pretty good one, too. Yeah. At least her character is. Julie's bed is uh, surrounded by mousetraps, and each one of them has their own little spotlight, which mm-hmm. I thought was a nice touch. Uh, <laughs> he looks at it and he's like, Jesus Christ. And you find out that she has a second job at a Xerox, Xerox shop, which is in the same building, just downstairs. So it just says, it just tells us that uh, Terry Gar's character only works at places that she can walk to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to make it easier. Yeah. But this is where we really find out that she's kind of really nuts. Uh, you even see like 20 cans of Aquanet. Mm-hmm. So, for her bee- beehive. Yeah, so then that's when she says to touch my hair too. So. <laughs> and he's like, you, you, you want me to touch it? Uh, As he does touch her hair, uh, he hears the bartender returning to the bar. Peter McAllister, call him by his name. (laughs) The father. The father. And his hand gets stuck in her hair. And doesn't even seem like it was that difficult to get out, but whatever. Uh, She is upset that that he's going to leave. She even is like, you're going to leave now? It's like, yeah, he's trying to get his stuff back. Uh, he goes back to the bar, and there's a gay couple there drinking, and they're also making out and playing with each other's nipples. <laughs> they're also dressed in a very Mr. Hand. Is it Mr. Hand? What is what's the character in? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. South it's Park. um, Mr. Slave, leather daddy, like biker. Yeah. Mr. Slave is the character, I believe. Mm-hmm. I have not really notes about that, but we can talk about it in my review. Okay. Um. He, I forget. Oh, so he's talking about like, oh, you know, Julie, your your uh, 
cocktail waitress. She's expecting me to go back. He's like, I think he even says, what is she going to do? Kill herself? Mm. Just don't go back. Yeah. And then he gets a phone call about his girlfriend killing herself with sleeping pills. And then he starts screaming, Marcy, Marcy, Marcy. So not only was she doing, she was cheating on her husband with Paul or about to, but she was also cheating on her boyfriend with Paul. So uh, who knows how many men she's been with, but yeah, it was a cry for help. It would seem. Uh, but if she did say something about this, the pills making her sick, maybe she didn't intentionally overdose, but the bottle was empty. Yeah, so. I was going to say she took the entire bottle. So Paul is obviously upset because he knows what happened, and he says, I don't know what to say. And one of the uh, other patrons, Mr. Slave, says, uh, what can you say? It wasn't your fault. And he thinks it was. That's the That's the joke. He runs back to Julie because he's afraid uh, she might also kill herself. And uh, she kisses him because she's so happy to see him back. And she even rewards him with a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. So we finally get to see what it looks like. Yeah. And it just looks it's like... exactly like you would imagine. Yeah. Uh, not painted whatsoever. Just someone had a mold. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, hear one of the traps go off while, he, while they're talking and actually see one of the... The rats get caught. And then he says he has to go because he's really tired and he needs to get his keys again. He still hasn't even gotten his keys. And she's upset and he says at one point to her, are you all right? And she explodes and says, why do you keep asking me that? She's like, no, I'll come back another time. Another time. What's your phone number? And she just keeps saying 54433. Three. And he's like, that's not enough numbers. And she says it again. Finally, she says, KL. Five, you know, five, four, four, three, three, which is a very basic number. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember there being a time where KL. Yeah, that seems like from the forties and fifties, right? Yeah. But if, KL five, five. But if you watch the, the Simpsons, they'd often say phone numbers like yeah. Klondike. Yeah, five, four, four, three. So three. what? What does that even mean? Uh, I guess Do it's you... just like you type in KL before the number. Yeah. Hmm. So K and L. Are both five, five five five, four four three three, which is five 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 is always the first three numbers of any fake phone number. Yeah, except for one two one two, uh, like the Dave Chappelle joke where he says people trying to call Indiana Jones. You know, like if you watch a movie, right? Say you're watching a movie, and one character says to another character, "Say, hey, uh, what's your number, man? What's the other character always say? Five five five, five 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 five. You know why we got to do that? Because stupid ass people go to the movies and then go home and try to call the characters that they just saw. Hello, is Indiana Jones here? No, motherfucker, he's fake. It's not his number. Uh, there was one in um, Bruce Almighty yeah. when um, I remember seeing this in theaters and uh, when he gets a page, like there was a real number on it and mm-hmm. it was someone's real number and they didn't know whose number it was. They just put a random number on mm-hmm. there. So if you watch the movie now, you can tell that it's been like edited to, mm-hmm. it's just like one, one, one. And then there's like a weird, like ADR line on there too, because in the theater he would say the, the, the number out loud. Right. He'd be like, I don't know you, but, and after the movie came out, they edited and there's like a weird, like ADR line on there. Hello, five, 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 zero, one, two, three. 
So there's your fun fact for because people called that number. Yes, it's just like Mike Jones. Do you know Mike Jones? I don't. You don't know Mike Jones? Two eight one three three zero eight zero zero four. Hit Mike Jones up on the low. I know that because Mike Jones about to blow. Oh, it's a a song. (laughs) It's a rapper who put his real phone number out, and it's he still has that phone number to this day. And that was like uh, in one of his albums. He has it like fifteen times, and it's a good, good uh, self promotion. Yeah, he became very famous because of that. Uh, I forgot. Oh, there's somebody online who was very famous, and they gave out their brother's phone number, and they also smashed his screen like it was an iPhone, and so he would just keep getting text messages after text messages after call after Bosch? call. <laughs> no. <laughs> stop texting me keeps restarting my phone (laughs) oh boy anyways uh she also as he's leaving she tries to give him the uh, paperweight and he smacks it out of her hand and he um yells at her which he shouldn't have done uh he goes back to the bar and it's closed again already but he sees uh neil and pepe leaving an apartment which happens to be tom's apartment neil is upset this is cheech marin is upset that uh, his statue, that he can't find a statue. And he's like, see what happens when you pay for things? Someone rips you off, rips it off. Uh, so he goes up to Tom's place, but he's not home. And uh, someone robbed that apartment. Maybe it was Neil and Pepe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same guys from earlier. They're like, hey, it's him. So they start chasing him. And that's where the chase begins. Uh, it's, we see that it's 410 and then this is the, uh, I guess it's the second diner cause Dick Miller doesn't work at this one. Yeah. It's a, it's a different one. Uh, he asks to use restroom and he's like, it's for customers only. He's like, Oh, I'm going to buy something. So he goes to the bathroom and he comes back out and the guy's like, Oh, you can, uh, that's your booth over there. And, um, he's like, Oh, I have to go put a quarter in the meter for my car. Um, but I'll take a, he orders like a cheeseburger and cup of coffee cup of coffee and something else like water. water yeah and he leaves and so he goes to club berlin because he remembers that that's where uh, kiki and uh horst horst are but he gets to the bouncer and he won't let him in uh he gives him the change out of his pocket as a bribe to get in and he takes everything except for the quarters he was like you can keep the quarter you keep the quarter yeah that was a funny scene between the bouncer and him I forgot what his t-shirt says. I meant to write it down. Yeah. I think it was kind of cut off like because of the yeah. way that he was, he had his arms folded. Yeah. And it was like, it looked like it was either his nickname or it was for bouncer school or something like that. And he's coming by in a motorcycle right now. Uh, as he's having to wait, uh, a guy with a mohawk shows up and just walks right in. And he's like, why does it? Why doesn't he have to wait? He's like, well, it's Mohawk night. If you had a Mohawk, you can go right in. So he's like, okay. Uh, um, I I don't remember exactly what he says, but the, he lets him in. But he walks over, walks him to the barber that's currently giving people Mohawks. So in the middle of a a punk club. Yeah, it's very much punk. Um, obviously, Club Berlin in the eighties is a reference to you know, the Berlin Wall and all that. I'm assuming. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a stretch. 
uh, even though this is before before the wall fell. So, I mean, we think of Berlin in the 80s. We think of the end of the Cold War. Mm. I don't know if they were thinking that in 1985. I don't know. But uh, did you catch the... Um... The, oh, the cameo yes by martin scorsese the the, the dictator the, <laughs> the lighting technician the dictator with the searchlight looking around very serious with his uh taxi driver beard yeah yeah, yeah. that was funny one of the one of the few movies that scorsese has a um a cameo in i feel like he has a lot of cameos i know he has it in taxi driver i know he has one in gangs in new york he plays one of the rich mm-hmm. people that they show the in like a montage yeah, yeah. Trying to think of what else he was in. I know mean, he's in Taxi Driver twice. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the only other thing is in Bringing Out the Dead. He's like the voice of. Um... Have you ever seen it? No. Uh, is it a Scorsese movie? It is. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say he was in Shark Tale, but <laughs> he he plays the voice of the because um, it's like set like in an ambulance. He plays the voice of the um... CB radio. Yeah, whatever. Okay. The person who routes them to the different things. Very cool. Um, that's another movie similar to this that's on the list that's so it's just so funny to see scorsese just randomly yeah in there that serious look on his face because he would make a good actor yeah i mean even just that scene in taxi driver shows that he has the skill to be an actor we go to uh kiki and marcy's place again and uh this time he takes the 20 off the statue and in the streets uh, a mob is looking for him and or the robbers. Uh, it goes to back to the taxi. He finds another. He hails another taxi cab, I should say. And Catherine O'Hara, O'Hara leaves the cab and hits him with the door. And he sees the cab driver. He's like, oh, he hits you from before. Here, I have a 20. Can you take me uptown? And the guy takes the 20. He's like, I'll be like right back. And he drives off. He's he like, says, how do, you, how do you like it? Yeah. Uh, that's when uh, Catherine O'Hara looks at his... Uh, arm and sees that it's bleeding and i also realized that she's blonde which is weird to see because it isn't like usually like red her hair yeah yeah brunette at least like every woman in this movie so far he uh she takes him up to his apartment and she's also apparently hard of hearing because he's trying to say something and she's like oh i'm a, a ice cream vendor for uh, mr softy i even have my own truck i'm sorry um i'm i just you wouldn't believe what I've been through tonight. You just wouldn't believe it. Oh, I'm uh, I'm an ice cream vendor, Mr. Softy. What? I... You misunderstood me. I didn't ask what you did for a living. I said you wouldn't believe what I've been through tonight. It's not boring. And I have my own Mr. Softy truck. It's not... It's, it's not boring. Ah. Also, you need a Class 4 New York State chauffeur's license. Guess who has one? Got it on my own. But he's like, hey, can I just use your phone? That's all I want to do. So he calls 411, gets a number of a friend named Peter, maybe McAllister. Uh, and they give him the number. So he's like, you know, saying it over and over again in his head. And as he's trying, he hangs up. And as he's trying to make the call, she's saying a bunch of random numbers. Like Buzz, her son, <laughs> in Home Alone. Buzz, don't be a moron. This blew my mind. I know, right? Uh, there's there's levels to this shit as she's uh laughing her ass off at this uh fun thing that she's doing and he calls has to call like 411 like three times in order to succeed but he doesn't and he just realizes that it's not gonna work um just write the fucking number down man yeah jesus 
Uh, she even asks him if he wants a pencil, and he refuses because he's like, I can do it real quick. So probably that's why uh, he she feels a little offended, but she thinks this is hilarious, and she even laughs like a lunatic. Uh, she's just trying to entertain him, is what she says. Um, she wants to dress his arm, and uh, when he takes his shirt off again, I feel like I don't, I didn't really get a good shot of what he looked like with the shirt off the first time, but this time I'm like, man, he's really skinny. He's skinny, yeah, yeah, and hairy. He's got a hairy chest, as most of us did in the eighties, <laughs> as if I did when I was, I was five. Say, you, you had a, you had a nice head of. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> what? Anyways, uh, on his arm is uh, the paste from paper mache and a little clipping from an article. I don't remember exactly what the article says, but it was about like some person being murdered, or, like they couldn't identify the body because it was like, badly mutilated. Yeah. yeah. So she's freaking out about it. Uh, this probably adds to her suspicion of him later because of how sick this is and she might be thinking oh it's 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 perm like he put that on that on purpose she starts thinking of ways to take the paper off of him and she goes oh we can burn it off i'll get matches and he's like what are you talking about and so she tries to leave as as she's leaving he says lady and she's like my name's gail so that's how you find out her name and uh he tries to leave but she shows up with the matches and but she offers him a ride in her Misty, Mr. Softy truck. So finally, he's going to get out of there. Or so she thinks. Or he thinks. Yeah. That's where she sees a flyer on a lamppost and she starts freaking out on him and uh, says that he's dead and starts blowing a whistle. And the angry mob arrives. Just in time. He runs, being chased by all of them. He goes into one apartment and tries buzzing a bunch of people, saying things like, hey, I went to school with your, your son, or mom, it, it's me, you know, yeah. saying a bunch of random weird things. He's hiding between buildings, and he sees a couple fighting, and then at one point, the woman of the couple shoots her husband. Multiple times. Multiple times, and then she was like pretty proud of herself after she did it. And then he says probably my favorite line in the entire movie. I'll probably get blamed for that. Yeah, I, uh, I, that's my biggest laugh in the movie, too. And it's just he doesn't he doesn't freak out about the fact that someone just got murdered. Yeah. He just like looks at it and he's like, I'll probably get blamed for that too. Like <laughs> making light of the situation, even though he just saw something horrific. But yeah, yeah I laughed out loud. I laughed out loud at that one. Uh, at one point, oh, okay. So he goes out in the streets and he started begging God, and he asks, "What do you want from me?" And that's where there's this random guy just walking down the street and so he's like hey i need your help and the other guy and the guy's like well there are certain things i I will not do and again this person takes him into his apartment and uh he talks about he's never been with a man before and he's like whatever He, he just needs to call the cops so he calls the cops again and the cops think he's crazy because of his story uh Again, he goes into the bathroom and washes his face. And this is the cool side of the uh, shot okay, of, okay. in the movie. I and, apologize. Well, it's a really cool shot. It's very it's memorable. It's very good. Just not memorable enough to know when it came <laughs> when, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think this is, I think though, putting it here kind of towards the end is really cool because it's like things are getting so twisted and fucked yeah, up. Yeah, that exactly. makes sense. Uh, when he comes out of the bathroom, he starts retelling his story of the night. It's this big monologue that gets uh, interrupted with fades between it to show the progression of time of how long he's actually 
ranting and raving. Yeah. He says something about the waitress and he looks down and sees that Julie is there and she's taping flyers to uh, lampposts and power. I'll just say lampposts. Uh, and that's when he goes down there and he sees what the flyer is, that it's pictures of him. Uh, that she had drawn. Yeah, the one she drew and outright just saying he's the one who's the burglar. So he goes around, or the mob shows up, and he's running away, ripping down flyers. And he also just throws it on the ground when he starts ripping them off. It's like, yeah. you should throw it away and hide them or something yeah. stupid. I'm just going to pick it up. Yeah. Uh, he sees the bartender who's waiting at the diner, one of the diners. And uh, he says he just got back from the mob. I'm pretty sure that's not right. No. Uh, he just escaped the mob, sort of. And uh, he sees Peter McAllister. There you go. <laughs> the bartender. And uh, he's like, hey. And he's like, where have you been? And he's like, I need my keys. So he's like, okay, I'll go back and I'll go get your keys. And when he leaves uh, the diner to go get the keys from the bar, um, the waiter, or I guess the owner of the diner shows up with his order, which is exactly hilarious. what he ordered before. <laughs> yeah. So it's that same diner. And uh, a lady from club Berlin shows up, gives him a flyer and you look outside and Mr. Softy's truck shows up and the bartender just immediately gives him up. It's like, yeah, he's right in there. Yeah. And we get a very, uh, very quick moment between Mr. and Mr. McAllister in this movie. So it was nice. This is how they met. This is how their paths <laughs> crossed and they created Little Kevin. Well, I mean, Kevin would have already been born by this point, but. Really? Yeah, because 1985 and the movie is 1990. So uh, he would have born in, been born in uh, 1982. And there's also Buzz and the other siblings. Yeah, sure. So they would have been all been born in the 70s. Okay, maybe they had an on-again, <laughs> off-again relationship. They knew each other yeah. already. As they had already run- had two kids together. Yeah. As he's running out, Paul's running out of the diner, we see that the clock says 5.05. He goes back to the Berlin club and it's completely empty except for one person in the corner and the bartender. Uh, apparently it's invitation only. The woman in the corner is June, who's always there. And he, But the bartender says that they're closing in a few minutes, so better make it quick. For like the 12th time in the movie, he goes to the bathroom and washes his face again, uh, which is super weird. I mean, I know maybe it's because like I know when I was a kid, I thought that if I like, I mean, I guess everybody knows this to like splash some cold water in your face. It'll keep you awake. Mm. So maybe that's the idea. I, I think I thought as a kid, oh, my eyes are getting dry. So if I wet them, I'll be more awake. That was my child logic. Um, he starts playing something on the jukebox, which is, is that all there is by Peggy, Peggy Lee? Uh, June is played by Verna Bloom who's really only in like this animal house and last temptation of Christ. Paul bears his soul to June and they start to dance as the vigilante mob arrives. And at some point he asks, why are they doing this? I just want to live. I said to myself, why are you doing this? Is what? All there is to love. Is that all there is? Flirt with me? You share your cigarette with me? You dance with me? You're nice to me. Why are you doing this? 
context other than just that <laughs> because they do dance for a while so uh the, the uh barkeep he says he's closing up and uh she uh, june offers him for him to come downstairs with him with her and they kind of cuddle in a chair until the mob breaks in and he uh goes to run away and ends up in her like plaster room and like an idiot he's like what's this do and he starts pulling on a rope and like all the it's coated in the um, plaster of Paris. Yeah. Really. Um, the mob doesn't believe no one is there. They're very uh, adamant about looking for for him. Like they really like they want him dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, June puts Paul into a statue, and the mob searches the apartment. Gail sees June working and says it doesn't look that hard, which is a reference to uh, what Kiki said earlier. It's like, oh, it's not that hard. Uh, the mob leaves and Paul is like, okay, you can let me out now. And, he's, and she's like, no, uh, they might come back. So she finishes him as a statue. And then and she even puts, um, over his, like his mouth. Yeah. To so make he him can't really, up. yeah. Even though he could probably just talk like, yeah. easily, but you know, movies, um, as she finishes, she goes to check to make sure that the mob is actually gone. And that's when her Neil and Pepe break in. And Neil thinks that Paul is the statue that he lost earlier, even though it looks nothing like it. They steal him, even though he seems super light. There's a whole human being inside. Yeah. And they put him in the back of their their van with all their ill-gotten goods. Like the butt bandits, maybe? The butt bandits? Wet bandits. (laughs) I was like, that's a different movie, man. Sometimes you hear what you want to hear. That's homo alone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's staying in i that's guess staying in. <laughs> uh we apologize to any uh, of our homosexual friends wow. you, you gotta admit that was a good joke <laughs> yeah everyone's gotta admit that was a good one <laughs> especially when it makes that noise so they uh drive uptown you, you see all the signs i'm assuming this is supposed to be paul's point of view and they hit a bump. Actually, they hit a hard turn and uh, then a bump. And the doors open. Paul and it's, falls out. they do a good um, passing of time as uh, he's moving further uptown. You can see like 47th Avenue, 49th, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, it starts getting more and more light outside. Mm-hmm. And by the time they take that corner and he falls out of the van and it crashes on the floor, um, it's light out. It is. And ironically. Right in front of the place he lives. Or works, I should say. And the gates open. This art, the Art Deco style of it, really reminded me of Brazil, the movie Brazil, not the country. And so he gets out. He breaks out of his uh, his confines and covered in uh, dust and dirt and plaster. Plaster. He just walks right into work. Goes back to his desk. His computer says, "Good morning, Paul." And the camera does this really cool spin around him and around the office, and the closing credits begin. And it like, and Mozart plays too. The camera's like going crazy, like yeah. dollying around, like very, very fast, like mm-hmm. frenetic pace of just like in a random. It's not like a circle or a square. It's just like mm-hmm. bizarre um, patterns. It's very interesting. And that is after hours. 
So would I recommend this movie, you might ask? I was just about to ask. <laughs> I'll let you ask then. Hello. Would you recommend this movie, Michael Getty? Yes, of course I would, because that's one of the reasons I brought it into this episode, is because I recommend everybody see this. I can understand people not liking this movie, but I think it's worth a watch at least once, especially if you're a fan of 80s movies, if you're a fan of Scorsese, uh, just movies in general, just to see what kind of cool non-structural movie type thing you can do. Because I can see like an avant-garde first-time director doing something. Like, like if this movie was made nowadays, it'd be something probably crazier, even crazier, and be something like maybe the Daniels would do. Yeah. So, yeah. Would you recommend this movie? Yes and no. Um, I guess this gets tied into my review, but... Um... I could go either way. I'm, okay. I don't think it's something that everyone needs to see, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's anything where I'm like, nah, like don't don't waste your time on it. You know, yeah, if that makes sense. So my answer lays somewhere in the middle there. It's non-committal. Yeah, just the way I like it. I think it's weird uh, comparing this version of New York to the version of New York and Taxi Driver. Like, they're two totally different things. I'm sure there are different parts of New York too. Um, but this is completely desolate. Like you don't see yeah. another car, another person. And you know, New York is, uh, if I remember correctly, a city that never sleeps and you don't see yeah. another person. You don't see cars. Like the streets are just, it's like vanilla sky. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's very cool to see that, that, um, that side of New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that New York is very much multiple different. What's the word that they use? Vignettes. Uh, vignettes. I was gonna say jurisdictions, but that's not right. Um, oh, uh, boroughs. Boroughs. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if it's only a nine-year difference, uh, the Wizard of Oz gets mentioned early, and it's uh, it's kind of like a fucked up Wizard of Oz, or it's kind of like a fucked up Wizard of Oz or uh, Homer's Odyssey, where it's uh, the lead trying to get home, and he keeps meeting several weird and interesting characters. And speaking of vignettes, it kind of has its own little vignettes, even though most of them happen inside people's apartments that he meets. Mm -hmm. I I guess that would probably be my big negative is it kind of keeps repeating the same thing of like, oh, he meets this person. Okay, off to their apartment. He keeps falling into the same traps and doing the exact same thing. Maybe that's so that maybe that's the point. I'm I'm sure it is. Yeah. It feels more like a Terry Gilliam film than a Scorsese film, even though I do see camera movements and similar to score to Goodfellas. And uh, some of the dolly shots that may have even inspired Tarantino. Because there are a few where the camera moves past and it felt very Pulp Fiction or uh, Reservoir Dogs. I think the cinematography great is great. It's uh, very 80s and very New York. The score is uh, paranoid with the clock ticking and then that sur- surreal feeling matching this weird world of Soho after hours. It's fun and unique watch that I think shows Scorsese's range. I give it an 8.5. 8.5 because it came out 1985. No, I came up with the score and then went, oh yeah, it's 85, 8.5. Uh, let's hear your review. Okay. <laughs> if you want to. Yes, yeah, please. So um, this is definitely a movie that I had heard about multiple times, but for some reason I never got around to watching I had to say that I did have really high expectations with it, as a lot of people had called this film like an underrated masterpiece, as um, whoever cinema fucking JoJo or whatever. Watch Mojo. 
whatever saying it Cinema was. Jojo is the name of our new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's when Joe um, yeah, joins, joins us. us. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I kept hearing that it was, uh, you know, an underrated masterpiece and um, underrated and forgotten about film from Scorsese filmography. Yeah, absolutely. Is it a masterpiece? No, I don't think so. I really like the blending of film noir, screwball comedy, and all-out absurdity set in the somehow completely empty streets of New York, as we mentioned. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense, and that adds to the absurdity of it. It's yeah. like there's not a single person around during any of this. Um, this is Dante's Inferno. Yeah. It's kind of like Hitchcock meets Buster Keaton minus the blood and impressive stunt work. Uh, the bizarre levels increasing as Paul manages to meet people who harken back to different eras in time. I really like so like you've got the 80s in the epic New York loft and like the um, the excessiveness of the mm-hmm. 80s. Uh, the 70s for the new wave punk club, 60s for the lady with the beehive hairdo and 50s for the diner that Paul goes into. It's like each one of these is like a different era that he's kind of like stepping into. Yeah. Adding to the I don't know the bizarre nature of it. Um, it was really great seeing a lot of familiar faces in this movie, especially considering many of them were so young. So seeing like, um, um, even the main actor Griffin, like seeing yeah. him like holy shit. Cause in this is us, he plays like yeah. a grizzled old man. Yeah. He looks like a different person now, but it's funny cause I know him mostly from the movie he did three years before this. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was really great seeing them. I definitely enjoyed the movie, but not to the extent that I was hoping to, mm. um, the acting was great all around, but I am curious. And this is what I wanted to ask you about. Um, if, if Scorsese or whoever the writer was had some sort of commentary that was intended like on the gay community in New York. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of like nothing offensive. I don't think, but it's just like, there's a lot of um, sequences in the movie that feature like homosexuals. And it just seems like unnecessary. Like, I don't really know why. And they kind of seem like, um stereotypes like let's put it that way so i don't know if it was just something to put in like for comedic effect because like you were saying like you know it's of its time or whatever bullshit people say when something's like racist um but yeah it's strange like there's two leather clad men in the in a bar like making out and like those were the most outright ones because the two guys in like um tom's apartment and i might be saying peter McAllister's apartment um they were I would say obviously gay. I mean, that might be... That's what I'm saying. It was like kind of a stereotypical, like, feminine, you know, way of delivering lines. And then the other guy that he's like, I've never done this before, like, assuming that he's going to be propositioned by... I I don't know. It was just weird. And like, he's for it, too. Yeah. And I was trying to to read and see if there was anything about that. Like, was it supposed to be a commentary Hmm. on the AIDS? I don't know epidemic during the 80s who knows maybe but um, yeah this movie might be smarter than we realize it's it could be another under the silver lake well and that's the thing there there is a lot (laughs) to it it could be dumber and and um you know and i think we did a good job of kind of analyzing it um but yeah overall definitely enjoyed it wouldn't call it a masterpiece or even like great i think good to really good describes it for me uh, so my overall score is a 7.37 out of 10. Still a really good score. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. It, like I said, it's not terrible. I didn't hate uh-huh. it. There were a few moments, especially the, of course, when the person gets murdered, I, I laughed out loud at. <laughs> Griffin Dunn's a great actor. Yeah. Um, I think he does a good job of 
and I don't know if this is intentional, but he starts off as is seeming like an innocent, like really sweet guy, mm-hmm. and then he's like he's kind of an asshole, and he's kind of like a piece of shit. Yeah. So um, I like that turn. So, yeah. but yeah, that's it. And I do wonder how much uh, I made the joke about vampires kiss, but I wonder how much inspired like American Psycho mm-hmm. in this movie because it does feel like that last little murder spree in American Psycho. Of them running around, being chased, and the paranoia, and making phone calls, and mm-hmm. people not believing them, and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I think I didn't even consider. I mean, maybe with the uh, the sixties haircut, but I didn't even consider the idea that he is going to different times from you know the fifties to the eighties, and I think that's really interesting uh, perspective and really cool. Maybe something to keep in mind the next time I watch it. Yeah. So maybe it'll open it up a little even more. Yeah. But yeah, the, the whole the whole gay thing is just like, yeah, what was that about? Yeah. So maybe somebody smarter than us that that really knows should uh, comment on the Instagram post that yeah. is accompanying with this episode. And let us know what you think it means or yeah. if you do know what it means, if like Scorsese's your godfather or something. Or... <laughs> and that's the other thing is like, this is a great movie underrated is the term used because it's a movie that nobody ever talks about because it's surrounded by goodfellas and mm-hmm. raging bull and taxi, taxi driver, driver yeah. and casino and these master the actual masterpieces um so to have something like this that nobody ever talks about is uh, really cool because yeah. even some of the smaller movies because people talk about like king of comedy being underrated and all these other things but this one rarely gets mentioned so very very cool. So on to trivia. Trivia. Um, I've only got a couple things. So apparently it would have taken Paul approximately one hour and 47 minutes to walk home, assuming that he walks at an average speed of three miles per hour, which is about one mile every 20 minutes, and he hits all the cross streets at the correct time to cross. The distance from Paul's uptown apartment, which is on East 91st Street to Kiki Soho Loft on 28 Howard Street, is approximately 5.3 miles, and someone was able to figure that out with Google Maps. So if he had just walked home from the beginning, he would have been home before this, well, by the time this movie ended. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I mean, the rain was a factor at one point, but. That's true. But it led up. Yep. But Uh, then he didn't have skis at that point. Well, they really thought this up, huh? (laughs) Um, Martin Scorsese could not. Why did I say that weird? Scorsese. Scorsese. Pronounce your last name for me. Uh, Scorsese. Sassy. All right. And I said Sassy, and I wanted to make sure. (laughs) Martin Scorsese could not figure out a suitable ending for the film. He asked Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, and Terry Gilliam to watch the film so they could give him their opinion on how the film should end. There you go. Imagine having those kinds of friends and be like, hey, hey, dude, tell me what you think of this movie. There's a special feature on Clerks 2 where uh, Tarantino comes over and watches a print. Oh, really? Like a, 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 a version of it. And like thinks it's great, and he, they're talking and discussing about it. So I'm just like, and they're both smoking cigarettes, or at least Kevin Smith is. It's before he quit, so yeah. that kind of idea of just like, you know, my famous, my good friend, my fucking super famous masterpiece yeah. creators, getting his opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, the first thirty minutes of the film are based on radio artist Joe Frank's 1982 NPR Playhouse monologue called Lies. Some of the dialogue and plot elements of the film are lifted verbatim from the program, including Paul meeting Marcy in the deli, the bagels and cream cheese paperweights, Paul calling Marcy that some night 
Oh, Paul calling Marcy that same night to buy the paperweights, Paul losing his cab fare when it flies out of the window, Marcy being raped by a former boyfriend who came down the fire escape and falling asleep during said rape, Marcy being married to a man working overseas whom she writes to every day, and said husband's sexual quirk. Joe Frank filed a lawsuit against the producers and was then paid handsomely in a settlement. How can you copy something so verbatim and yeah, not, not expect. at least credit yeah. the person? Yeah. Martin Scorsese told Griffin Dunn to refrain from sex and sleep during filming in order to get a more realistic feeling of paranoia. Yeah. He he went method. I do have a I do have a trivia trivia bit, but I want you to finish okay. and see if you actually have it. Lastly, I probably don't. Uh, British director Michael Powell was around quite a lot when the film was being made. He and editor Thelma Schoonmaker married soon afterwards. Hmm. Nobody was sure how the film should end. Michael Powell said, he must finish up back at work. But this was initially dismissed as too unlikely and difficult. They tried many other endings. A few were even filmed. But the only one that everyone felt really worked was to have Paul finished up back at work just as a new day was starting. And that's it for trivia. Uh, the one I have is, I heard it in a video today, that uh, Griffin Dunn went to a bar and said, drinks are on me and so they passed out all the drinks and then he left and then went over to the club uh berlin when it was empty so having that like oh shit like what if those guys come out here and like try to kill me now to add to his I, performance i read that piece of trivia and i had to read it four times because i didn't understand i was like <laughs> okay so like he he said this and then he walked out but you just explained it to me now like oh, okay it makes yeah. sense it like helps his performance yeah but like i was yeah i was like reading that and i was like huh He's like, I'm going to leave here and there's going to be a bunch of pissed angry off people, people yeah. which is what's happening in the movie. There's a mob of angry people. It's getting really method with it. Very. Uh, this movie has only four one-star reviews and they're all short, so I figured why not read them all. This is from October 2020 called, and the title is Bizarre Trash. It's from Angel Sunchained. Weird film that you think might be a comedy, but it turns into a bizarre after-hours journey through the underbelly of new york little chemistry between the main characters and a lot of real strange interactions which leaves you wondering what's the point i wanted to like this film this is this is you i wanted to like this film but it was just worthless trash which should be flushed down the drain wow well i mean the toilet didn't flush that's so. harsh yeah this is from uh, just last may uh, proof scorsese is a bad storyteller <laughs> Bruce Willis is a ghost. That's the name of their per spoilers. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, the first person, uh, first review, 14 out of 26 people found it helpful. The guy's username is Bruce Willis is a ghost? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't get it, but. Six cents. Oh, wow. I didn't <laughs> even fucking put that together. Okay. Never really felt that Scorsese is a genius. He made a few good films, but let's be honest. This is his worst work ever. Which is a question I, after I finish this, we should ask each other. Why? The movie itself can't decide what it wants to be. Is it a drama or a comedy? Is it art with commercial cast? With commercial cast? That sounds weird. This is not a clever Hitchcock parody. The director didn't even know how to end his movie. Hitchcock knew film. Scorsese doesn't. Scorsese is overrated. There, I said it. Six out of 13 people found this helpful. What do you think his worst movie is? Scorsese. Either Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore or The King of New York. The King of New York. Isn't it King of Comedy or King, King of, of New York? It's not King of New York? King, King of, of Comedy. Comedy. Yeah. Oh, there you go. 
That's how forgettable it was. <laughs> I haven't seen either of those movies. Of the ones I've seen... What would you say? Um, Shutter Island. Yeah, maybe Shutter Island, but mostly because I was like... We seem like something through the wall. <laughs> yeah, this feels like something I wrote. Um, but you should or, try to sue him. Get your money. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I probably haven't seen his worst movie. Uh, this one is from January 2019. Uh, too much bad stuff is happening to this guy. Okay. No shit. From 15 minutes, weird and bad stuff begin to happen, and it gets bothering. Well made and well acted movie, but has this thing. That made it made my, but has this thing that made my experience worse. Three out of nine people found this helpful. Okay. So you didn't like it because bad things happened to the person? Yeah. And lastly, this one is also from January 2019. What the hell am I watching? This is the worst movie I've ever seen. Maybe if you're from New York, you just get it. I don't. It was a challenge to see if we could finish the movie without cutting it off. Not entertaining at all. Okay. And uh, 16 out of 35 people found that helpful. Nothing too spectacular or fun in those reviews, but... Yeah, that's okay. They can all be A-plus winners. Mm -hmm. So what have you seen recently? Movies and TV. So you always go based on memory. I don't know why you write them. don't write them down. Because I don't care. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tyler um, does. Yeah, Tyler does. Number one, of course, uh, The Last of Us premiered mm-hmm. on Sunday. Uh, it delivered everything I was looking for and hoping for. It delivered. I knew that it was going to be relatively slow because it was building mm-hmm. the world. Um, but everyone's fucking great in it. It's so there's so many moments in the uh, in the show that are like straight out of the game, which is like what we want to see. Um, people don't want to see like like the number one thing that happens when people make movies based on games is like they change the story, mm-hmm. and that was like the one thing that um, Craig I can't remember his last name, but he was the guy the showrunner of Chern- mm-hmm. Chernobyl. He okay. like wrote and directed episodes and was a showrunner for it. Um, him and the guy who wrote The Last of Us and directed the game, like, they were working together and they said, like, we're not mm-hmm. going to change the the major plot points of the story. They're not going to change, which I would love to see that. So anyways, um, loved it. I just, I'm bummed now because you have to wait a week between mm-hmm. episodes. Um, and I'm excited for the next episode because the, um, the guy who wrote and basically created the last of us is directing the next episode so i'm very interested to see it and then the only other thing was um i don't know why uh on a whim you lent me clerks three and i was like you know what i'll watch it um i and i think honestly if you hadn't said anything about how emotional it made you i would never have watched it Mm -hmm. and it's pretty much shit up until the last (laughs) 20 minutes and it's very it's very emotional yeah. and it's a like you shouldn't make any more clerks there should be nothing else, else set in that world yeah um but yeah it was a really really nice send-off really beautiful um but the rest of the movie is just like very just like okay so it's very interesting that you say that it makes me long for 
the original clerks and chasing Amy when like Kevin Smith was like at his best. So then, so that's the thing. So now we have two different projects that we've both seen the last of us and clerks three. Oh, you watched the last of us. I knew a lot of stuff about the behind the scenes of trying to make clerks three, making clerks and even clerks two. So going into it, there were a lot of inside jokes. So I think I appreciated that a lot more. Um, and I recognize like all the people from the original Clerks, which is great, yeah. um, really great to see. Yeah, some of them have aged, yeah, pretty fucking terribly. And then. until you see the footage of the actual movie, then it's the original movie. What? <laughs> Where he shows, he's like, "Here's the movie I made," and it's like from thirty years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a little bit of spoilers, but uh, and then I watched. So I watched Last of Us. Words are hard, and I was like, yeah, "It's fine." Because I don't have the context of the game. Right. And you don't know what's going to happen, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, th- and that's the thing is like, I'm surprised that because it's getting universal acclaim. And yeah. I'm surprised that people who have not watched or have not played the game love yeah. it as much as they do because it's slow. There's not yeah. a lot of action. It's all world and character building. There's There are characters that I'm like, I don't hate you yet. I can see Who? myself hating Who? just like the people, you know, like the kid being like flipping them off. It's like, okay, just relax. <laughs> it's like, you know, these little situations where I'm just like, okay, I can end up hating these characters if they keep being this, if they don't grow. They and will. I'm sure they will. Yeah. So I'm giving, I definitely will give it another try. I'm not like super, I'm definitely not <clears throat> as excited as you are. Yeah. Cause um, th- that's the best game I've ever played. Well, yeah. Okay. The, before the last of us two, the Last of Us One was the best game I ever played, mm-hmm. and The Last of Us Two, which hopefully they do for like season two, because mm-hmm. at this point there's no way that they're not going to make a second season. Assuming that this one is actually very successful and seems to be, I, every okay, yeah, yeah. But anyways, it, uh, I was reading something today. I think that it was the number two um, biggest, like not opening but most viewed uh, event in hbo history okay. so yeah it's doing really well but if you had to give it on a scale of one to ten just based on the strength of the first episode what would you say um i'd probably say i mean just not, just watching it as an episode i'd probably like seven okay yeah that's um, what I too. but seeing the potential of what it could be seven and a half i mean okay so yeah, I'll keep giving it another shot. It's not like uh, other HBO shows where I, it's, it's kind of like House of Dragons, where I watched the first episode and I was like, "Meh." I mean, House of Dragons second first episode got better than the second, like way better than the second half than the first half. But that mm-hmm. first half, I was just like, Ugh. "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." And that's how I felt throughout the whole thing. It's just like, okay, mm-hmm. it's not bad. It's not True Detective level of boring. Um, which someone, um, someone who listens to the show, like texted me and was like how do you not like true detective? <laughs> I was like, I explained in the show why. Um, I yeah. Mean, yeah. And I also need to finish uh, Perry Mason because season two is coming out soon. Yes. So. Perry Mason was fucking incredible. Yeah. That show was great. That's, I just, that and uh, Twin Peaks, the return I need to finish. I've enjoyed both of them so far, but I'm like halfway through each of those seasons and I need to finish because I've been focusing on movies and, other stuff uh anything else you've seen no that's pretty much it uh i also saw the menu which uh i think you recommended to joe so i'm assuming that means you've seen it yes uh what do you did you ever talk about it on here i don't know i think it was between episodes when i saw it 
Well, I mean, the, the next episode is usually when yeah, you Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know if I mentioned it or not. Um, what do you think of it? No, maybe I did because Tyler, I agreed with Tyler's review of it. It was oh, okay. really, really good. And the ending was a little weak for me. Yeah. But uh, overall, like the acting was great. I love the, the, you know, the satire of it. Like yeah. it's like, you know. It's like that. And with Megan, what I appreciated is that this isn't supposed to be taken seriously. And then I was able to relax and enjoy the movie. I love Hell's Kitchen and yeah, uh, Kitchen Nightmares yeah. and all the, that the Gordon Ramsay like personality. Yeah, yeah. Ray Fiennes is he's great. always amazing and everything. And this he you know he just again went above and beyond. It was kind of like somewhere in between his character in Grand Budapest Hotel and like Voldemort almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was really cool and really good, and I enjoyed it and. Uh, Kind of, it's another one of those movies that just came out in regular Blu-ray, and I'm like, this would probably be amazing in 4K. Yeah, where's the physical release? But yeah, not yet, at least. Uh, I saw the unbearable weight of massive talent, which I really enjoyed. Again, another movie not to be taken seriously. Uh, What's well, Nicolas Cage like? What has yeah. he done that you can take seriously in the last like ten years? Yeah, in the last ten years, not really. Well, Pig, although there's definitely a lot of satirical things in that movie too. Yeah, so. I mean, even the the. The synopsis, like the basic plot point of the movie, is this man loves his pig. Like, yeah, well, it's a truffle finding pig. Yeah, have yeah. you seen that movie? No, I haven't. Uh, it's pretty good. It's not something I don't know. I don't think I'd ever bring it in, but I'd recommend. Okay, watching. Um, and then I also watched Babylon, and we. I guess we can make the decision now. Do you want to do a special episode of Babylon? I mean, either that we talk about it now. So. Well, then this episode will be super long. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, if we can talk for, we don't have to do an hour. Like, how long do you think you can talk about? It? I don't we'll probably know. talk about forty-five minutes, even if it's a thirty-minute episode. I don't still. even think it, we would need forty-five. But yeah, we. I guess we can just. All right. So stay it. tuned. Yeah. <laughs> even though this isn't We're, radio, this isn't gonna be. You're gonna cut that, right? Like, <laughs> you're gonna fucking have all this discussion. But let's talk about um, homework. Homework. What is it? Homework. Hopefully it's a movie I haven't seen. Um, I don't think you have. That's always the risk, though. It is. Uh, quick and to the point. Um, this is a movie that uh, is based on a book, a book that I really like by a writer I really enjoy, Brett Easton Ellis, so it's going mm -hmm. to be 2002's The Rules of Attraction. Oh, okay. Have you ever seen it? Nope. Okay, good. With uh, James Vanderbeek uh, and Shannon Sossaman, my girl. Um, it's a very... Well, I'm not even going to tell you anything about it. Good. But the book it's based on, it follows it very closely. It's directed by Roger Avery. and mm -hmm. The co-writer of Pulp Fiction. Yes. And don't, uh, don't watch this with your girlfriend. <laughs> I never watch any of these movies with my girlfriend because I have to pause it every two seconds to write notes down. Oh, okay. Got or are you talking to the audience? Uh, maybe both. Maybe both. You never know. Perfect. So, as always, thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as Gaddy did. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I enjoyed it too. Um, yeah, and as always, uh, feel free to reach out on our social media. Send us a DM if you're too, I guess, 
not old school to send an yeah. email because apparently can, sending an email now is like too much work for people so i guess so um yeah you can direct message us at at sinfeely podcast on i am on oh my god on instagram or you can just comment on the uh, the uh, the post that is associated with the episode, um, commenting on things we mentioned in this, or just what you think about the movie, any of that stuff. I uh, I would like to have a call to action at the end of every episode, but I can't think of one. What's a call to action? It's like saying leave a comment below about one crazy night you had in New York. Uh, or, you know, got it. Okay. So that way we get a bunch of comments of people. It's it's better for a uh, YouTube video, so that way you get a bunch of comments yeah. and likes. And Don't forget to smash that like button and, and hit subscribe. subscribe. <laughs> and turn on that bell so yeah. you get notified whenever we put up a new episode. And with that being said, thank you. Have a great night. And remember to not go to strangers' house. After especially after 1130. Yeah, especially. That's late. Just go to bed. Just go to bed. Yeah. Nothing good. If you've watched How I Met Your Father or Mother. Oh, my God. I'm... <laughs> Am I going to be able to do another episode after this? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, like they say in How You Met Your Mother, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Roger that. Good night. Good night. This is a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight.